That's the whole premise of the series is that we um, want students to begin owning their faith. And so before we start and get on that track, I want to... uh, I want to ask a few questions. We do this every once in a while to make sure you're thinking about the future. You guys should always be thinking about the future, all right? How many people one day would say, I want to get married? Raise your hand. I want to get married. Hi, hi. Man, be proud. You non-married people? Any non-married people? Okay, no. You want to be married one day. All right, that's good. That's good. That's good. How, How many people would say this? How many people would say, one day I want to have some little kids? Raise your hand. I want to have some kids in the world, and, you know, I want people driving me crazy and always pulling me down and saying, Mommy, Daddy, let's watch Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, that's where I'm living right now. Kids are awesome. Uh, how many people would say this? How many people would say that one day you want to uh, have, like, a nice house? Like, you're, you're, you're into decorating, or, or maybe you want, like, a nice yard or something. You would say, oh, you don't want a nice house? You want, you want a really bad house, Clay? Okay, cool. Um, you want a nice house? Last question. How many people would say one day with my family, not like my mom and dad, but like my family we just talked about, my husband and wife or, and my kids, whatever, I want to take like a sweet vacation. Raise your hand. Sweet vacation. I want to go somewhere like Hawaii or Cancun or maybe I'm like crazy into stuff. I'm going to go travel Europe or something. I don't know. But I want to take a crazy vacation. Let me see it one more time. One for crazy vacation. All right. Let me ask you another question. How does that happen? Do you just walk up to the uh, to the ticket counter at the at the airport and say, "Hey, excuse me, I want to go to uh, Cancun," and they're going to say, "Okay, uh, where's your tickets?" And you're like, oh, "Oh, you need tickets? I didn't I didn't know you needed tickets." Listen, guys, if you don't ever talk to a girl in your whole life, you're not going to get married. All right, that doesn't work. One day you don't wake up and there's a ring on your finger and like a girl next to you. What? How did that happen? If you don't talk, if, if, if you don't make a plan, if you do not make a plan, that's the whole point of this. If you don't make a plan, whatever you're planning on isn't going to work out. Whatever you're hoping to have, if there's no plan, you're not going to get there. Let me give you another example. If I have family in Dallas, Texas, okay, represent for Dallas, Texas. If I want to go to Dallas really bad, I'm talking about, I'm going to tell you guys all week, I'm tweeting about it, I can't wait to go to Dallas, 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 Dallas. And then I get on the 15 and I head towards the signs that say Los Angeles. Listen. I don't care how many tweets I put out about Dallas, how much I talked about Dallas, how much I told you Dallas is awesome. If I'm headed to L.A., I'm not going to Dallas. I'm going the wrong direction. Here's why I bring that up is because I believe it's the same thing with following Jesus. That's what this whole series is about. Tonight's going to be a little foundational. You cannot expect as students and myself and your leaders, we cannot expect to wander around our lives for you, junior high and high school, some of you guys are getting ready to go to college, a lot of people expect that, man, I'm just going to kind of do me right now. I'm just going to kind of do my thing. I'm going to go through junior high and high school and college. And then one day, I'm just going to wake up and be super passionate about Jesus. Like what we talk about at Hope all the time, what we talk about at Refuge all the time, that's just going to be my life. One day, I'm going to wake up and be super passionate about Jesus. I'm going to start living like a Christian life, and it's going to be awesome. Listen, that's never going to happen. You don't just one day go from not living like a Jesus follower, not caring about the things of God, enter into the next day all of a sudden. You're just a passionate Christ follower. You're you're trying to reach your school. You're trying to reach your friends. That doesn't happen. I studied a bunch this week about uh, what the culture is saying about teenagers. This isn't what I'm saying. I hang out with you guys all the time. I think you're amazing. I think you're an unbelievable group of teenagers, okay? But this is what, I mean, I read like so many articles. I was just trolling the internet this week, just looking at crazy stuff about what in 2013 do people all over the world say about teenagers. And I gotta be honest with you, it's not pretty, all right? So just remember, I'm not 
telling you you are this. The world is telling you you are this, okay? Stick it to the man. Um, here's a few. There are four words that I saw over and over and over again. And again, I'm setting a foundation here. I'm not calling each and every one of you these things. Hear me out. But here's what, for the most part, people, other people are saying about this generation of teenagers. More than any other, this isn't just teenagers in general. Like they're saying this generation of teenagers right now is different than any other generation of teenagers. The 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, different. And here's the words that I saw numerous times. First one is this, lazy. (laughs) These guys are here like proud of it, okay? You need to listen up for the next four weeks, like hardcore, okay? Listen, no, but seriously, people are like, hey, more than ever before, we see kids are lazy. Students, teenagers are lazy. I don't know if it's the invention of cooler video games or iPhones or Apple TV. I don't know what, Netflix probably ruined it for a lot of us. But they're saying, man, you don't see kids mowing their lawn anymore. You don't see, I'm just reading these articles thinking, I guess, I don't know if I was the same as, this t- as the teenagers of today. I can't really think back like that, but because you're always better than you, th- you really are. You know what I mean? Uh, but they're saying, you're, teenagers are lazy. Here's the second one morally bankrupt. Here's basically what that means. You guys are bad, okay? It basically says this. Hey, uh, if, if I tell a teenager something is not good, they'll be like, I don't care. I don't care what you say. It's good for me, so I'm going to do it. And they're saying more than any numerous articles I read this week, more than any time in history, teenagers just don't care. Hey, if you think this is wrong, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it because it's awesome. Third one apathetic. Does anyone know what that word means? That's kind of like lazy, but basically you don't care about anything. Like you are sort of like, hey, check it out. We're going to give you free in and out for life. And you're like, that's cool. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're like, what? I just told you. And you're like, hey, dude, did you know you're failing Spanish? Yeah, I know. Like people are saying, Wake up! Do you care about anything? And they're saying in this culture, and when I'm reading this, that people look at you guys, and again, I don't look at you that way. I see some characteristics sometimes, but for the most part, man, I know you guys are passionate, you guys are in it, but here's what the, teenage, the culture of teenagers says. You guys are lazy, morally bankrupt, bad, apathetic. And here's the th- last one that I saw over and over again, is they are not going anywhere fast. And this one I do see, not with you guys, of course, the students of refuge, but just in the, is, is the culture in a whole, basically they're saying 25-year-olds today are like the 18-year-olds of two, two decades ago. Basically, students, teenagers are extending their teenage years into their late 20s, a.k.a. you'll see a 27-year-old and he's acting like a 16-year-old. And they're saying, hey, they're really prolonging this process of growing up. And here's why I tell you all that. I set that up both ways. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a direction, if you and I and your leaders, everyone in the room, doesn't have somewhere where like, I want to get there and I'm working to get there. And I believe we're going to fall into every single one of these categories, especially when it comes to following Jesus. Again, you don't just wake up one day and you're passionate about God. You don't just wake up one day and you want to go and be a light for the kingdom of God. That doesn't happen that way. You have to have a plan. Here's what it says in the church, a couple statistics, is that, or one statistic, that there's, there's a stat, and you've heard it before, and it's an ugly stat, but it's true, is that they say that about 7 out of 10 teenagers graduate from high school. Man, they're plugged, into, they're plugged into churches, and they're maybe leading worship for churches, and they say 7 out of 10 people, by the time they graduate or get through their sophomore year of college, that they don't care about Jesus anymore. That they've completely walked away from 
the church. They've completely walked away from community in a fellowship of believers. They've completely walked away from it. And I believe that a plan that you and I have to have is this. We have to begin to own our faith. We're going to talk about that for the next four weeks. Everyone in the room is, is, nobody's exempt from this. Whether you're a pastor's kid here, or this is your very first time at Refuge, and you're still checking the whole Jesus thing out, listen, the only way you are going to become a passionate follower of Jesus is when you and I begin to own our faith. When we begin to take responsibility for our faith. So here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you tweet, if you write stuff down, I want you to do that tonight. I want you to be bold, and you're like, man, my friends will see it. It's okay. Tweet it, or maybe Facebook it, or write it down and think about it later and Instagram a picture of your notes. But basically, I want you guys to really begin to process this stuff, and if you don't write it down in any form, you're going to walk out, and you're going to forget it. So over the next several weeks, I want you to bring a notebook or bring, get your app, your notes app ready on your phone. But we believe this stuff is absolutely life-changing to you. If you and I begin to own our faith, I believe we'll be able to see God do significant, significant things in our lives. And that's the only way, the only way you and I become passionate followers of Jesus. So what does own it mean? Here's a definition for own it. Very, very simple definition. Own it means to take responsibility. To take responsibility. You heard Tyler say own it about a thousand times over the last couple weeks because we want you to understand that's what we're talking about. We're talking about you taking responsibility for your faith. How many people have ever, uh, how many people have a dog? Dogs in the house? Okay. Uh, I had a dog all throughout my childhood. And one time I was, uh, I was seven years old and me and my brother were playing this amazing game we made up. Have you ever made up games with your siblings? It's really fun. Uh, but we took this plastic bone that my dog used to play with and we, um, we played a game where we basically, have you ever like totally messed with your dog and made him like jump in weird spots and he falls on his back and you're like laughing at this poor animal you're torturing? That's what we were doing. And so me and my brother are throwing the bone and it's bouncing off the couch and over our dog and he's just like jumping and flailing all over the place and we're having a ball. We're seven and he's eight and so I'm just chucking this bone and it's bouncing across the room and he's chucking it back and we're like trying to do tricks off the couch, you know what I mean? Like one cushion to the top cushion to the other side cushion and back to Scott and uh, my dog the whole time is barking and going crazy and we're having a blast. And then all of a sudden I, I get crazy and I try to do like a, you know, twirl bounce or something and all of a sudden you hear and me and my brother just go. And there's a humongous hole in the window behind the couch. I missed my trick. And it went through the window. And so me and my brother, if you've ever had that moment, you just stare at each other. Like, who's going to blink first? Who's going to act like this isn't real first? You're just staring. And we were like, what do we do? What do we do? And here's what I could have done. I could have went in the room and I could have told my mom and dad, Mom and dad, it was crazy. People tried to break into our house and they tried to steal us and they used this plastic dog bone as a weapon. It was crazy. You, would have, you should have seen it. And my parents would have been like, seven-year-old Scott, you are an idiot. We know you broke the window because you were just in the room playing this stupid game you and your brother made up. So I walk up and you know that feeling, the pit in the stomach, and you're like, oh my gosh, mom, dad. And they're like, yes, son. They're like, 
I broke the window. I'm so sorry. And then you have to fix it. We had to save up. We had to save our like allowance, which is probably like $2 back then. So we had to save it for numerous, numerous weeks to repair the window. But here's what I did. I knew in that moment I had to take responsibility for something that I did. You've all had that. I don't know what it is for you, but you broke something in your house. Or there's a time when you had to walk to your mom with that pit in your stomach and you were like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm supposed to do but I have to take responsibility for this. Here's another thing I have to take responsibility for. I have to own this, all right? I grew up for but basically my entire teenage life, I was something called a bro, all right? I don't know if that is still cool, okay? Uh, I know it's not cool. It really was never cool, but uh, I thought it was. I don't know if it's still a word, okay? But basically, I meant I skateboarded every day. I rode my dirt bike, and I wore Dickies all day, every day. That's what you had to wear. Like, I slept in Dickies because Dickies were bro attire. If you don't know what Dickies are, don't worry about it. Um, Black shirts only, only shirts you can wear are black that's like, and they have to have a cool logo from like the nearest, you know, new escape company or something. And your flat, fat, flat bill hats always have to be cocked to the side and you have to drive a truck. Okay. Bro criteria. That was me. Okay. And so, uh, I, I own that now. I talk about it. I, hey, it's cool. We all have those weird, awkward phases. This is definitely my weird, awkward phase. So I'm going to show you a picture right now of me and my good friend, Billy Combs in my bro days. There's me and Billy Combs in my bro days. If you didn't recognize me, I'm the, the really pale white guy with, and that, by the way, is a bro look in every picture. That was me. Every picture I took for like seven years. That's back in 05 with Billy Combs right there. If you know Billy, uh, we both look a lot different, okay? But look at, look at that. I mean, that, I own that now. That's an, I take responsibility for that horrendous look right there that I rocked for seven years, okay? We've all had times. That's how I met my wife. If you see my wife, okay, let's be honest, she's hot, all right? Uh, that's how I met her, and she started dating me like that, okay? Next time you see Candace, go, what were you thinking? Seriously. I don't know what she was thinking, but I'm glad she was thinking it, all right? So uh, that was me owning my bro days and my dog bone, but here's what we're going to do. If it, 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 some of you tonight, here's the deal. You're unhappy with your relationship with Jesus. Some of you guys are like, man, I've been following Jesus, <laughs> I don't really see the benefits. I don't really see God working in my life like crazy. I don't hear, you know, I read the Bible and see all these crazy miracles. And, and I got to be honest with you, Scott, I come to church and really there's not much else in me, uh, you know, that's fired up about this stuff. My challenge for you is that I believe if you would say that, that your first step is to own your faith. Are you owning your faith? And we're going to get to what that means here in a minute. But is, are you taking responsibility for your faith? Not your parents, not your church, not your small group leader, not your best friend who you think is a better Christian than you. You. Because God gave you a relationship with him, not your friend. He might have given your friend one, but it's not yours. Are you owning it? Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at different ways God has called us to own our faith. And so we're going to start tonight kind of at a foundational point, uh, kind of step one, if you will, step one of owning your faith. But first, if you have a Bible, Philippians chapter two is where we're going to be. And if you don't bring your Bible to refuge, that's another way you can own it. All right. I don't care if it's on an app or if it's actually in your lap, like we want you to have a Bible. Don't just trust us on the screen. All right. I want you to be checking like, oh man, what, what does it say on the screen? What does it say on my lap? Listen, again, if you're a pastor's kid, if you're here for the first time, we want you to bring your Bible. All right, we're always in it. That's what this whole place is based off of, all right? Philippians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 5 through 11. We're going to lay a foundation tonight, and then we're going to look at step one of how to own it, how to own your faith in Jesus. Here's what it says in in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, 
did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Here's what it's basically saying. Jesus is God. And although that happened, he didn't, he, he didn't, he, he put that aside for something. Verse seven, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's what that is saying. If you didn't know the story of the Bible, here's what I'm going to tell you. From the foundation, before the foundations of the earth, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever ago, there was a throne in heaven and Jesus is on it. All right, have an imagination with me. You're picturing this huge white throne. I don't know what you're thinking, but just picture a huge seat and Jesus is on it. Here's what the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation and and it alludes to here. Is that forever and ever and ever, eons and eons and eons, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels are looking at Jesus and basically screaming over and over and over again you're amazing you're awesome holy 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 can you imagine if i just had you guys scream for like two seconds we'd get annoyed okay jesus doesn't get annoyed i don't know why but he just says yes i am awesome i'm jesus i'm the creator of the earth i'm everything and thousands and thousands of angels for thousands upon millions upon billions of years all around his throne basically telling him you're amazing you're awesome holy 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 and then it says here in in philippians chapter 2 that he came to earth. He came from that, from this amazing, awesome place where he was highly exalted like he should be. It says that he stepped into your and I, wor- your and I world here and became like us. Born in some smelly barn with no bling, no paparazzi, no more angels saying how amazing he is. He steps into normality. He steps into being normal just like you and I. The story goes on to say he lived about 30 years before he really did anything. And then he starts preaching about this kingdom of God that we're talking about tonight. He said, why did he do that? Well, the reason he did that, he came to be a savior to people who needed saving. If you don't know our story, and I say our story because it's every person's story, you and I were born dead to God and alive to sin. Here's basically what that means. You and I are just naturally, we're going bad. Naturally, we go away from the things that God wants for us. And so Jesus comes from the scene where people are telling him, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're holy. And he steps into our world for us. He he left everything to become nothing so that you and I could have everything. But here's what most of us do. And I can see it on some of your faces right now. That's pretty awesome. Here's what most of us do. We, We hear that story and we're like, yeah, it's cool. And we're not really that fired up about it. I'll be honest, I slip into that. I mean, we we have meetings all day, every day as pastors, not all day, every day. We have a lot of meetings talking about the stuff of the kingdom of God. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes if I'm not careful, the gospel, this awesome good news that is Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection for me, it gets kind of like, yeah. But here's what I want to challenge you with, and I want to challenge myself with, I want to challenge the leaders with. If you and I don't get fired up about the fact that for thousands upon millions of years, Jesus was being praised as he should, and for you and I, he came to this earth to die so that you and I could live. I want that to fire you up. I want that to fire me up. Like, that's worth waking up to. 
every single morning going, man, Jesus is awesome. Jesus left everything, became nothing so that I could have everything. I'm fired up about that. We wake up a lot of times every day and, eh. Are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, I'm a Christian. Aren't you fired up about it? It's amazing. Yeah, it's cool. I just heard it a lot. I've been in church. You know, I'm a pastor's kid. or I've been in church a really long time. And eh. Here's why I tell you that. Because you will, whatever you're fired up about, you're going to start to own. I'll give you an example. How many people have already seen Iron Man 3? Put them up. Iron Man 3. Amazing, right? I haven't seen it. I heard it's amazing. I was doing it all night when it came out, okay? I'm not knocking Iron Man 3. I'm sure it is incredible. I heard it's really, really long, though. But it, I don't know if it's too long. But here's the deal. We know you're going to see Iron Man 3. You're tweeting about it. You're Facebooking it. You're taking those pictures with your friends. If you're on Vine already, you're taking Vines of it. Iron Man 3, oh my gosh. You know this person's fired up about Iron Man 3. And guess what? They're owning the fact that they're an Iron Man 3 fan. Xbox fans in the house, raise your hand, represent for gamers, all right? Listen, when the new Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty or fill in the blank, whatever game you love, when that comes out, people are going to know it. Why? Because A, you're not ever going to come out of your house for like the next 72 hours, but also people know around you, I'm so fired up about this game, and you begin to own your love for Assassin's Creed or Call of Duty or whatever it might be. We get fired up about it and people know it. Why? Because we've owned it. We've said, I'm about this. This is my life. But if we're not fired up about Jesus, if, if, if the gospel doesn't fire us up, if the fact that God left everything became nothing so that you and I could have everything in him, if that doesn't fire us up, we're not going to own it. I'll see you 20 years from now. Scott, no way, crazy. Yeah, I got a wife. I got a few kids. Like, oh, man, where are you going to church? Yeah, man, I haven't found a good one yet. And that's what we're saying. Hey, let's not be a statistic. Let's say 7th through 12th graders, if you begin to own your faith and you begin to be passionate about it like you're passionate about Xbox and you're passionate about Twitter and Iron Man, be passionate about the things that God's called you to be passionate about. I really, really believe God will do significant things in your life. I was kind of thinking about a way to, to, to kind of explain this to you in, 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 in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 7. Here's what it says about Jesus' death. In him, that's Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Here's basically what that says. The word redemption, it literally means to buy back, okay? So you and I sold ourselves basically away from God. And here's what he did on the cross is he bought us back. And so I jotted this down and I thought, I think this explains how serious God is about this. Write it down if you're writing stuff down. Here's here's what it says. God said at salvation, I own you. That's buying back. Not like a slave, but he literally bought you back with his blood. I own you. Now, I want you to own your faith in me. And if you don't believe me, it's cool. We're going to get to the scripture here in a minute. But out of Ephesians 7, we know God bought us back. So basically, he has every right to say, I own you. Now, your response to that is owning your faith in me. Don't slip into what the culture says of teenagers and be lazy and apathetic, especially when it comes to the things of me. Again, this this is what gets me going. I believe with all my heart that Christians, even 7th grade Christians and 12th grade Christians and people who are really busy with sports and school, all that. I know you guys are crazy busy people, but I believe we should be the most disciplined, 
passionate, hardworking people on the planet. Why? Because we got God inside of us and we know he bought us back. And so he says, hey, I've charted you out a new course. I believe Christians should be so passionate about things that they do. If you're a basketball player, be the most passionate basketball player that could ever walk a court. If you are a dancer or a musician or an artist, I believe we should be the most passionate in those things. Why? Because God gave us life. But a lot of the times we go, eh, we don't really own anything. We own our Twitter accounts and our Xboxes and our, that's it. And maybe when I was saying what the culture says about teenagers, you're like, yeah, it's, it's kind of me. That's not what God has for you. God doesn't call me or you or your leaders to be lazy, apathetic people that the world says they're not going to do much. He's put his spirit inside of us. He says, I own you. I want you to own your faith in me. Here's the proof of that. The rest of Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, two verses later, uh, right after it says that, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, basically after it says Jesus is incredible, he comes from a throne of a thousand angels screaming his name, he came and became nothing for you and me, then it says this, so then, beloved, verse 12, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, listen to these next few words, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's what essentially Paul is saying. Own your faith. I told you the story of the gospel comes from thousands of angels screaming his name. He's amazing. Comes and becomes nothing for you and me. Now, so then, because of that, work out your own salvation. Says Scott, that's, that goes against everything we teach here at Hope. I mean, does that mean I have to do something to make God happy with me? No. I'm saying you need to take responsibility for the faith that God's given you. You need to own the relationship with God that he has given you. If own it means take responsibility, then you, have, you and I have to understand what responsibility is. Because remember, it says work out your own salvation, but on the other hand, it's God who works in you. So I want to give you a new definition of responsibility. Right view of responsibility is my response to his ability. That makes Ephesians, or Philippians 2.13 come alive. It's God who works in you, both to will and to work. The only way you and I own it is when we respond to what he's doing in us. To take responsibility to own your faith. As God is working in you on your campus, in your, in your circle of influence, at your lunch table, in your families, on your sports teams. As God is working in you, your response to what he's doing is going to cause you to own your faith. If you go, <clears throat> I know God, right now you're telling me that like, I need to invite my friend to refuge. I, I know that I should really uh, stop talking about all the things I normally talk about with my friends and maybe enter into a, a more godly conversation and start showing them a little bit of my faith. I know I should, I should reflect you in my friendships or at home. I know you're telling me that right now. Like I can literally hear you in the back of my head. I don't know if you ever had that moment, but I'm not going to. It's too weird. I'm at my lunch table. I don't want to mess up lunch. Everyone's going to think I'm weird. 
Responsibility is you responding to his ability. When he's doing something in your life, you say, okay. Maybe you don't understand it all, but you're walking in it. You show me somebody who starts acting that way, I'm going to say, that person is beginning to own their faith. So with all that said, that's kind of the foundation of the series. I want to give you step one. We're going to talk about different ways you can own your faith throughout the night, here's, or throughout the, the, the next few weeks. But here's step one of owning your faith. Begin being who God made you to be. Step one. Before you figure out how to serve better in church and how to give and be generous with the money that you got and how to... You know, how to go on mission trips and how to, you know, be somebody that you would say is like super Christian. The first step is you got to start being who God made you to be. Say, so Scott, that's awesome. What does that mean? What has God made me to be? Here's a very simple answer. It's not going to be on the screen. I believe every person in this room was created to be a worshiper of Jesus. Oh man, that's a church answer. Hey, Every one of us was created to join those angels and to worship Jesus. He's worthy of our worship, even if you don't think he is. Before you were ever thought of, before this earth was ever created, he was reigning as God. And our job as human beings born on this earth is to worship Jesus. Say what? How do I do that? I mean, is a church open every morning before I go to school? I mean, is Ben going to be up here leading worship every morning? And, and Scott's going to teach me a message every week, every day before I go to school? I mean, if I worship, that's worship, right? I mean, I have to be around my friends, and Ben's got to be playing, you know, and, and the band's got to be there, and that's how I worship God. Maybe some of you guys think worship only happens in this room or in that room or in the other church you go to. So here's a few ways I want to challenge you to begin to be the person God made you to be. Because I believe that's step one to owning your faith. The first one is spend time in his word. Spend time with God. What does that mean? You sit down, you find a quiet spot, you open up. If you don't know where to go, ask your small group leader. Ask me. We'll, we'll point you to a good starting point. You're going to sit down and you are going to say, God, here I am. I'm, I'm going to read your word. I want you to speak to me. And you begin spending time with a journal and the Bible. And when you read something, you're going to write it down. If you read something that doesn't make any sense, write it down. If you read something that's like, whoa, that's really cool, write it down. A lot of times people get so intimidated, and I know I did with this book. Oh, my gosh, like there's 66 books in one book. It's kind of like this super book. How do, I, how do I read it? Just read it. Just sit down, find a quiet spot, say, God, I'm trying to obey you here. I know that you made me to spend time with you and worship you, and so I'm here. And if you're faithful to sit down and allow God to speak to you through his word, I promise you it will. Another step is praying for people, praying for stuff going on in your life. Oh, does that mean I got to, like, get on my knees and, like, does that, maybe not. Maybe on the way to school in the back of your mom's minivan, you're just going to say, God, right now, I'm going to commit this day to you. And you know the stuff that's going on with my friends. You know the stuff that's going on with my family. And I'm just going to, I just want to talk to you for this 15-minute car ride to, to school. God, I know you've created me to be a worshiper of you. And so I, I want to just talk to you right now, just like you talk to your best friend. You don't got to have certain attire on. You don't got to be in a church. You don't got to be in the presence of a pastor. You can just talk to God like you talk to your best friend. 
And the last one, this is a little weird. A lot of people go, wait, what? I believe every once in a while you should like maybe take the Taylor Swift out of your ears, okay, and put on some good, awesome worship music and just get away for a minute. In the pr- you could be around all your friends and you're going go, to go on the way on the way to class this time. I'm going to put I'm going to put some worship music in. Hey, we put some good recommendations on the loop this week. If not, ask your for ask your small group leaders. Hey, what's some good worship tunes I can listen to? But maybe you just on your way because you know you all got the earbuds in going to class. All right, so on the way to class, instead of bumping Taylor Swift or whatever you might be bumping or One Direction, you're going to say hey, I'm going to put in this worship music and I'm just going to spend the next three minutes on my way to class just praising Jesus. That's weird. No, the culture tells you that's weird. You were created to be a worshiper of Jesus and all that's doing is going in step with what you were created to do. Step one of owning your faith is you begin being who God made you to be. What is that? It's a worshiper of Jesus. How do you do that? You spend time with him. You spend time listening to worship music and saying, yes, God, what I just heard, I don't know all the words because it's going fast, but I believe that. Yes, that's you. You talk to him like your best friend. You spend time in his word. Why is that step one? That's foundational. Hey, you can do all the other stuff we're going to talk about in the next several weeks, but if you don't get this part, you're going to burn out a few years, a few months down the road and be like, God's not doing nothing in my life. I don't understand this. Well, do you spend time with him or you just run around talking about him all the time? Oh yeah. Like read his, read the Bible. Yeah. Do you spend time being poured into before you expect to go pour out and own your faith in all these other different ways? Do you, do you have the step one foundation, which is just being a worshiper of Jesus? See, a lot of adults don't got this. We counsel people all the time, adults, who come in and they say, my marriage is falling apart. I go to church every week. I mean, I went on a mission trip last. I mean, I give faithfully. Why isn't God showing up in my life? Do you spend time with God? Daily, moment by moment, you're saying, God, I'm available to you. I'm listening. I'm putting good things in my head. Not as crazy music that we're listening to these days. I'm included in that. Sometimes I'm listening to stuff and I'm like, why am I listening? This is crazy. Do, do, you, do you spend time with God? No, this is foundational for me, for Pastor Vance, for you, for your parents, for every leader in the room. Be who God made you to be. How, how do you do that? You spend time with him. You worship him. 